1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of With Tamara Gondor. That is me. I'm so excited you are all here. And I'm just going to say once again, thank you, thank you for the incredible reviews that you leave us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen. Um, But particularly on iTunes, because as you know, more reviews on iTunes means more listens and that means more impact. But what I really see it as, is a thank you and a nod and a round of applause to the incredible everyday innovators that come on here and share their stories. As you know, we have everyone from CEOs of companies and startups to leaders, to emerging leaders, to frontline staff, to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. And it's so cool to see the diversity of people we have on, the common thread being they've really embraced their innovator style. And I love it. So that also includes the person we're talking to today, speaking of embracing. So let's get to it. I want to introduce you to Matt by telling you a little bit about his everyday innovator style. So Matt is a collaborative inquisitive. And what that means is the collaborative side is all about pulling the disparate people and ideas and experiences together to create whole innovation. I like to think of collaboratives as they're the ones that like gather these little nuggets along the way, but they put it together to create the complete picture. And then the inquisitive is all about digging deep, challenging assumptions, pulling back the layers of the onion. I always know inquisitives anytime I interact with them because they talk in questions often to themselves, to the people around them, but it's because they're actually innovating, right? Their wheels, the gears are turning. So that magic of collaborative inquisitive brings whole deep innovation to the table. So Matt, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and what you do. Oh,
2: thanks, Tamara. Um, Just smiling because it absolutely captures me, the collaborative and, uh, inquisitive. And so excited to get into it. Um, but I'm Matt Lang uh, hailing from Kenosha, Wisconsin right now, and uh, own a business called Flip the Script Coaching and Consulting, where I work with growing organizations with a mission, helping them stay on mission.
1: So let me ask you, how did you get into this field?
2: By following my collaborative inquisitive nature. Um, I kind of describe myself as a, uh, a lover of people and chaser of shiny things. And so I've been through Uh, My career path is very eclectic. I was a software engineer for a while. I went to seminary, was a a pastor for a bit. I worked in national church headquarters and social justice work, disaster response communications, ended up in corporate America for about six years, got an MBA and a bunch of other certificates I put on my wall. Just because I was always asking questions, wanted to know more of like, how do these things work? And finally got to a point in my career was like, well, I'm in a place doing things a particular way and I could have an impact here. uh, But there's so many other ways that business can get done. And I'm not going to learn about them if I'm just staying in this one place. So I kind of followed a a gut uh, opportunity and stepped out on my own working in part with another individual to start. And then I just stayed in the uh, consulting space, found that the coaching side was a really interesting place for me to be for those conversations, helping people get clarity around their path and being an accountability partner. And I just love continuing to explore what's out there. I
1: love it. I love how you, I might have you say it again and make sure I got it. Would you say gather people, chaser of shiny objects? Is that how you said
2: it? Uh, I'm, I'm a lover of people and chaser of shiny things. Yeah, I love like, it. My <laughs> goal in life is to have interesting conversations with interesting people with the caveat that all people are interesting. So I just want to talk. Keep on yeah, talking. You
1: know what? I'm 100% with you. I actually think that if you ask the right questions, everybody's interesting in one way or another. You just have to figure out what to ask to get them to pull out right? what's inside of them. So I'm totally with you. Um, tell me about t- something that you are proud of or
2: a recent win. Um, relatively like recent win is one of the things that I found when I was working in corporate uh, and other organizations in general is like, people kept pushing like, you gotta be a leader, be a leader. Be, be the person that gets us from point A to point B and then be a doer. You got to get things done. And what I found getting missed in there is that tactical layer of the middle of business. So you got your strategy, you got your implementation operational layer, but the tactical layer where managers live was kind of getting missed. Like they're the implementers of that strategy and how that fit into an organization kind of kept getting left is, oh, well, managers are kind of just bad leaders. If you want to be a leader, stop being a manager. And I was like, well, I think there's really something here that actually is what's causing friction for a lot of businesses. So I've created a a course based on a model I call the Epic Management Model and starting to work with organizations and how to understand what management offers for them and train managers into that space. And the thing that's, I think, been most exciting for me is recognizing that Even in startups, I've been doing this, working with their whole team, because it becomes a common language around the concepts of the activities of management, that even though someone doesn't have a management title, still are part of what needs to get done, but nobody tends to claim them because they don't have the title that says, oh, it's okay for me to be in charge of optimization, of making sure the environment is set up, that we have good processes in place, that we have clear metrics of success. And so helping organizations and individuals find that common language it's just, you know, it's been super fun having those conversations because I continue to grow each time we do it.
1: Do you think that there's an unintended consequence with all of the conversation around be a good leader, you know, lead from the heart, lead from behind, serve your people and they'll serve you. I mean, I could come up, if I've scrolled on Facebook or Instagram right now or LinkedIn, I could probably find every meme about leadership out there. Um, but but then not giving them a real how-to that, that keeps things moving forward? Is there an unintended consequence on the back end of, of putting yourself or your people in that position?
2: I, I think so, yes, in the sense that what leadership and particularly management, because that's the biggest divide I work with, uh, do, it's like I, kind of one way I sum it up is leaders help define the new, managers help refine the now. And so if you're constantly looking for the new, we as people, like innovation is, got to be a part of it. If we're stagnant, we're just not going to move, we're not going to grow. But if we're constantly focused on growth and not on efficiency and optimization of where we're at today, our appetite varies across individuals, but if as long as we make the pain of the future state more than the pain of the current state, it's always going to be a struggle. So we, if we don't have people that help us understand truly what the current state is and how the status quo is actually not working for us, then we can't really have change management. And I think change management is really just someone in a management capacity carrying out leadership activities. And so if we don't give them the clarity of language on how those things interact with each other, we make that type of work very difficult and we think it's unicorns that can do it. Whereas I believe these are very trainable skills if you give people the right concepts and time to train and work into that space. So I think, yeah, the concepts sometimes do get in our way.
1: So I love what you just said that leadership I'm going to sum it up a little bit, but leadership is about tomorrow and management is about now. Um, and I, I, so I'm a big believer, and, and my experience has been that innovation across all of that, right? How you optimize and how you get efficient could be as innovative as how you find new customers, new channels, new approaches. So it's not an either or, it is a both, but they do have different focus, right? They, they One is, to your point, about today and one is about tomorrow. Is there a tip or a tool that you found particularly effective with yourself and or your clients um, that maybe even surprised you that that was the one that resonates?
2: I'm a big fan of uh, assessments. I think that uh, just, I mean, the IQE to start with. uh, They're they're really great. um, The the way I kind of describe them of uh, they are descriptive, not prescriptive. They're the start of the conversation and giving you the language to have the conversation. They're not the end of the conversation. And so like IQE, I think was really useful. Like that's definitely, how do you want to innovate? Uh, I, I talk a lot in energy. And so I'm always looking for where are the spaces of where people's energy is drawn? Where am I seeing energy show up? And then how can we leverage that and transition it? And so if someone's fighting something, it takes energy to fight. Why are you fighting? Why are you putting in that energy? Why are you angry? Why are you afraid? Because you care about something. What is it that you care about? And then can we unlock that and transition it? And so giving people the language to articulate that like IQE is an example. I've really come to enjoy the working genius model that Patrick Lencioni has come up with for how to get things done. Um, The GC index is another one that I think is very focused on action based because I found like the psychometric tools are really good conversations and you can get some team dynamics, but it's the driver that kind of gets you into a space, not necessarily the energy that draws you forward into the future. and so just, I, I explore those a, a lot. And I've, the working genius has been the one that most recently I've found like, wow, this, this has some real impact on people letting go and having the right conversations to get the right people in the room at the right time.
1: I want to go back Matt, to something you said, because I think it's really important. So I used to work in this consulting firm in New York City, and I was young and very full of myself, because <laughs> I was in my 20s and I knew everything, it turned out everything. It's amazing how like you lose all that knowledge as you get older. But I remember um, having a boss in particular who really shied away from the people who are frustrated and angry about something, how it worked, the results, the process, the client, right? Fill in the blank. And I remember then having another boss who used to really focus on those people, not in a negative way, not telling them to turn their beat around and to like, you know, Change their game, but really recognizing what you're saying, which is that their negative energy actually means they care. And I, that boss said to me, "You know, indifference is the worst thing. I would rather have a team that's full of really passionate, like positive people and angry, frustrated people than people who are just doing their job, because both of those people on the spectrum care." And I think what you just said is a really, when you were talking about that, is a really powerful lesson and and reminder to all of us that hey, you know what, those people who are frustrated. Or to your point, they're still expending energy. In fact, they're probably expending more energy being frustrated than those of us who are just going along, don't you think?
2: Yeah, and when I work with organizations, when I I step into a space, I pay attention to two people. Uh, People have been there quite a while that are either the thorn in the side there was like, oh, it's really hard to work with X or the person who's been there for like a decade Everyone's like, oh, they—they'll do whatever. They just don't care. Because I think like, if you really care about something that's going on, and you don't feel like your voice is being heard, you kind of get caught in this. You either have to be get into, uh, uh, you get you give up, and you're like, I'm gonna cut off all emotional ties. It's just apathy. Like I I can't care anymore because it hurts too much. Or I'm gonna poke at everything I can because it's my opportunity for my voice to be heard. And I just want to say, where where can we create space for either the person that shut down their emotions to open that up, or the person that's putting it into a different space to re. Address it into a different direction because, man, when those people get on board with something, you just get the best you can do is get out of the way because that they're going to move you forward to the next step.
1: I'm just going to share a personal story on that real quick, and then and then I got another question for you. But uh, there's a nonprofit that I've been involved with, and I got really frustrated with operations where we were headed. It's just you know we were at a a crossroads, and I was very frustrated. And I remember the president at the time calling me um, as I was resigning. (laughs) and said, will you take over presidency? And I was like, what? Like, I thought you hated me. Like, I'm all up in your grill all the time. And he said, yeah, tomorrow you are. And you're really frustrating. He said, but I recognize that you're doing that because you care so much. And I know you have a vision for where this organization can go. And I thought that was such a, like, I, I was a little bit taken aback, but it's exactly what you just said. He was way smarter than I was. He is to this day. He said, you know, he realized, hey, tomorrow has got all this stuff to stay and she's poking the bear because she cares, right? And because she has something that she thinks we can accomplish. So I just, for all of us, I just, I want us to really think about those people that frustrate us because they're constantly poking the bear. And to Matt's point, where do they have energy? I hadn't really thought of it that way. So I appreciate the way you kind of, you made me realize that, that that's actually good energy. It's just being channeled in a different way. So share a story of a time or a, a something that you did to think differently and to break through.
2: Uh it's a good question. Uh, I think I've been. Uh, I've also a kind of similar similar story that falls into that. If I was on a, a board for an organization that I was excited to be a part of, uh, that does work in uh, Palestine, and I was trying to figure out my place, and then they asked me if I would step in and take over as president. So now I'm the president of this organization, Americans for a Vibrant Palestinian Economy, and we had been very focused being American based to be about how do we draw Palestinian businesses into the American ecosystem, because that's where they're going to find a bigger market. And that's the goal. And stepping in saying, well, who's our target audience? Like we're talking about a vibrant Palestinian economy. Wouldn't that be like the Palestinian perspective? And so we've ended up shifting our executive director's role from a US based individual to someone who lives in Palestine. And that, that was a struggle to get around conceptually because the rest of us are in the U.S. How do we make the connections? How do we build that up? Uh, since we've gone through that process, it's it's been just amazing how many of these in small everyday interactions of networking that happen at such a different level that we're almost like, how do we keep up with the pace of what, where we're at now? Uh, and it's just, it's been very, very uh, rewarding, like watching that develop. It's
0: been great. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible.
1: I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high quality full spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure I am an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at HowdyPuppy.com. Link will also be in the show notes and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. That makes a question on that. How do you, when you think about networking, you get any message, right? Not about this in particular, but what you said made me think about it how do you think about getting your message out there to people who are new to you? Right. So whatever it is that you're doing, maybe it's kind of in that nonprofit or maybe it's your work world in a way that breaks through the noise, because I think we're all so inundated with so many messages and so many people coming after us, right. For, to like align with whatever it is they want to align with. So how how do you think about that?
2: Um, yeah, I would say that's probably an area that I tend to to struggle myself personally, and my my reasoning for that is uh, I kind of described like there's there's two ways that you immediately interact with people. You interact in the head or you interact with the heart, and I'm very much a head person. I'm analytical. I want to think through. I got to have a system, um, and so I want to connect with people at that point. But the initial part, it's the heart connections are what are what build that through the noise space. And what I've found that's worked is. When I'm just doing the work and I start telling the stories of the mundane things that are happening in the midst of it, and I give people a way to enter into the process through that uh, lens, that perspective, it's been so much more rewarding and I think so much more of a a catch for people in the process. So I'd say whatever you're doing, encapsulate it into the story. So it's not facts. It's not statistics. It's not like, even here's the end of our project, but here's the story of what happened in there and share your struggles. Because people connect a lot more when you're just being you. You think you're being vulnerable, and like, oh, they're going to see weakness. It's, they see humanity. And that's what people are connecting to.
1: So it's I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I do think that we, uh, at all as humans, we want to look right and smart and knowledgeable and having our act together. And most of us really don't at all levels. I definitely don't feel like that every single day. I definitely don't feel like that this morning. I'll tell you that. So, I but I do think that's actually what, what binds us and makes us a little bit more human with each other. And it's not a misery loves company. I'm not a fan of that at all. Actually. I really shun away from that, but there is a connection in the like, Oh, you're, you struggle too. I struggle too. So now you make me, I don't know if you make me feel better. I feel more connected to you, but it's, or maybe it's just a vulnerability.
2: Yeah. And I think part of it is to me, I'll take it back to like the energy conversation. It takes energy to pretend to have a facade. Like if I'm just me, uh, like one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes is the per- the honest person has to remember nothing, uh, because you're just being you. But if you're putting on a facade, be like, wait, how did I tell that person like I was successful? I have to make sure I remember that the next time I talk to them. Like I mean, I've been in consulting just over three years. This is the second company name I've had. I continue to revamp how I can create impact uh, versus outcomes because I realized a lot of my business I was doing outcome-based. I was providing you something that was a package. I put a bow on it and be like, look at this thing I gave you. And it might have like an immediate, uh, the output would have an immediate outcome for you, but the impact, the long-term sustainable piece wasn't happening because I was equating a lot of my work to, I'm delivering a fish, but I'm not teaching you how to fish. So if you're really hungry, I should give you fish first, but I still need to teach you how to fish. And so like, that was, that's been a growth edge of my business is recognizing how do I do that and not every one of my engagements has been successful but it's an opportunity to learn uh and ideally to to carry that forward because it'll serve all the clients in the future that much better
1: there's two things in there that I just want to pause on because you said them quickly and I think they're so important one is you said it takes energy to to keep up that facade and um I could not agree more like I I think it is exhausting to try to be something you're not and it's stressful and So, for all of us, just like remove that layer. It's not worth it. It's not worth the energy that it takes. And you don't actually get further. You get further being you. So, great reminder of that. Thank you. The other thing you said, which is really speaking my language, which is why I changed my business from, you know, I used to be a new product development consulting. So, you know, like General Mills would call and say, we need a new portable cereal product idea. Right. So then I would work on stuff like that. But a lot of those ideas never went anywhere. And not because they weren't good ideas. and They weren't just mine. The consumers came up with them. Teams came up with them, right? It was a whole project. But because the people inside the company, they didn't know how to fish, right? I was giving them a fish. They didn't even know what to do with it. And so that is why our business is all about the human side of things. is exactly what you just said, which is, it's so much more rewarding to teach people how to fish. And I like how you said, though, and this is something I'd never thought of before of like, let me give you a little bit of a fish to start, like, let's feed you a little bit. And then let's start to teach you how to fish. Um, I never really thought about that. And I think that's because people need wins out of the gate, they need an accomplishment, like they need momentum. Is that kind of how you see it? Or is there something else there?
2: Yeah, this is a model that's evolving and it's uh, emerging from the, the practice. But I'm finding that if I can walk with you to say, here's an example that I'm going to carry out for you on on your behalf, but my engagement recognizes that's the start. And then I'm going to walk you through how come that was successful? What do you need in place for this to become yours? Because ideally, my job is to work myself out of a job every single time. I want to, I want to be the person that's fired from the most jobs ever because- I'm constantly getting you to a place where you don't need me anymore. Like I would love to fade in the background every single time.
1: I love it. I love it. So what is a, I'm going to flip it. What's the challenge you faced and how have you overcome it?
2: Uh, I think a challenge that I, I faced and had overcome was one, I was uh, in a. uh, one of the things I've done is I, I every place I go, I I, re, I re, redesign, at least in my head, the organizational structure because I'm always thinking of a different way like that we could, oh, the organization structure needs to serve the people. And so I did this, and even by invitation by one of my leaders and had a great conversation, laid it out there um, and found that it, it, it never went anywhere. And I was like, well, I was invited to do this. It seemed to have positive feedback. Found out later that part of the reason was I was new to the team and the way I, I had described the project had made it look like I was putting myself into the next level of leadership management.
1: You were and threatening I, people.
2: Yeah. And it was a, well, you haven't earned your stripes yet. You aren't here uh, long enough to make that happen. And so I, when I learned that it was a, a really hard struggle for me to be like, we, this is a good, good tool. Like this is a good structure. I don't care if you fire me tomorrow, that's going to be the right thing for the organization in my opinion. And so to continue to work in that environment, um, I didn't have the language to articulate, but I learned later. like so I had to recognize that it's amazing truth. Leaders are people too. And if I'm defending the defending my people and I'm making that category, the people I manage, against upper management, and I see them as the enemy, I am the block, I'm the person causing the issues. And I need to recognize how to hear better, listen better, and share in a language that is more in line with the people I'm talking to. And so I was less aware of my audience. And the lesson I learned from that is communication is 90% what people hear, 10% what I say it's not about my message. It's about their listening. And so it, it was a humbling moment because I thought I had something really great. Saw I didn't move forward because of myself and not taking that personally, which I struggled with at the beginning. And then to learn the lesson of I was actually part of what was stopping good stuff from moving forward based on the way I was presenting.
1: So I so appreciate that story because I think that particularly in innovation, when you're trying to present something new, change, innovation, whatever, like you're trying to move forward from where you are, uh, people tend to put up resistance automatically. We're humans; it's kind of human nature, mm-hmm. and it really is our our job. We have to own figuring out ways to connect with people to move ideas forward. And we often think the idea will sit on its own. Like, look, this idea is brilliant. Obviously, they'll say yes because the idea is brilliant. But it oftentimes is not the case. In fact, most of the time, it's not the case. Um, will you share one lesson you got out of that, or what you do differently now based on that experience?
2: Uh, it, a very simple one that I just I, I use it. It's this actually came out of my my coaching experience when I was going through my program uh, with IPEC Is I, I ask the question when I see resistance like that coming up, as I step back and I say, "What would have to be true for this to be something that got you excited?" And I just I open up that space, allowing people to speak into uh, like it's not a cr- necessarily critique, um, and it's not necessarily something that's wrong. It allows them to, to speak into it. And then another one that I'll just share is I don't use right or wrong. Like that, that language is like, well, this is the wrong process. is the wrong thing. I ask questions about optimal and suboptimal. I say, is this the optimal way of getting things done? Rarely is someone going to answer that with a yes. I say, well, what would have to be true for us to move closer to optimal? You uncover so much more in that space uh, when you go between suboptimal and optimal versus right and wrong.
1: I love, love that language. I hope everybody's to others, and I'm going to take a note of that. I always talk about, you know, saying things like, tell me more, like instead of just letting people kind of shut you down or challenge you or even say yes, be like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Like what makes you ask that question or tell me more? What makes you like this idea? Or what makes you not like this idea? Right. Whatever they say. Um, because I think when people start to talk, you start to uncover the real answer versus the surface of what you say. But I really appreciate the language you used about like what needs to be true here. Um, and optimal versus suboptimal. I think we I don't know if it's laziness or just training, conditioning into saying, you know, well, well, this works and this doesn't work, which is no different really than right and wrong in a lot of ways. So I love that optimal suboptimal, which implies it implies that you can change it too
2: yeah and it's it's because uh, one thing I, I I've done a lot of work in process documentation that's a space I stepped into early on in my um consulting it's saying well this this works it gets results it's like yeah anytime you you have an expectation you have a process the question is whether it's explicit and it's standardized and if it's not explicit and it's not standardized then we're we're definitely not in the optimal space so what could be true uh to move move us forward and it's that was the space that I actually started using that. And man, those conversations opened up. People were so like, oh, here comes a consultant to tell me how I'm doing my job wrong again. To, well, yeah, this is actually what would I need to make this thing work. And I would gather so much more information about current state and opportunities for future state that I would know nothing about if I hadn't had those conversations.
1: So I think one thing you just said there, by the way, is hugely insightful and a lesson that I got along the way as a consulting in my you know prior days which is people that the people that are doing the work often have the answer if not consciously buried deep down inside of them somewhere if someone would just come along and ask so whether you're a consultant a leader a frontline staff asking people the questions that Matt's talking about will help unlock those because and I know and Matt I think you do too from the consulting perspective Right? nobody wants us to come in and just say, here's how you need to do it And they're going, you don't even do my job. like how would you how do you know that right? And the same is true I think um, inside an organization. So I, I really believe that people have the ideas, the solutions inside of them. they just nobody's asked or they have no channel or they just haven't cl- articulated
2: it yet. That 100% agree. like I've actually one of my taglines when I step into a business is like one of the things I'm going to tell you I' am guaranteeing, 95 to 99% of the answers to this problem already are here. They reside within your people. I am just the catalyst to be the 1% to 5% that unlocks those and then puts them together. I'm going to build it from there. And it's like, then what I want to do after we're done here is how do you build the feedback loops so that you can continue to gather those, that you don't have to wait till it's broken, that you bring someone outside in to help move it to the next level because you already have all the answers. You just need something to unlock them.
1: Yeah. I love that too, that you don't have to wait until it's broken. I love that. What does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator?
2: Uh, for me, it's like living on my edges. Like the, I say, I, if I haven't scared myself uh, uncomfortably once every quarter, then, then something's missing. I'm living too much into my expertise and I'm not growing on my edges because you grow on the edges. You can get deep in the expertise, but the growth out, that's in the space where you fear and failure are the signposts of the day. And so if I'm not exploring those spaces, then I'm not seeing something new and I'm possibly missing out on an opportunity to make a connection because networking is just, it's just my happy place. Talking to people about things they care about and making connections with opportunities that can align to that um, is really, really important to my own sense of fulfillment and uh, worth. And so finding opportunities to do that, being an everyday innovator is just, you know, asking myself that question. Am I in that space? Am I making those connections? And if I haven't recommended a book to someone in a a week, that's a a problem for me because I'm always looking for great reads and people that can uh, appreciate them.
1: Do you have a favorite book right now?
2: I am reading uh, Impact uh, Networks. Uh, I'm actually terrible with authors, so I apologize for not remembering who wrote it. Uh, But I'm looking at, I'm curious to look at, we have very hierarchical organizational structures in almost every place we work. And using the kind of, kind of thin, C-Y-N-E-F-I-N model of moving from chaotic to complex, to complicated, to simple as to how things get done. Complicated issues uh, where they can be solved by expertise, they can be solved by hierarchy. Complex issues are solved by networks. And so if we don't learn how to work in a like networking environment where we're bringing multiple individuals from different perspectives together to explore our situations in organizations, we're struggling. So, I mean, affinity groups are already doing that. So we're looking for like, how do how do women engage this place or people of color, but also our different problems in general, finding ways to do that. So I'm really interested in looking at how do networks operate within hierarchical organizations.
1: Here's what I love about that. I asked you your book, not only did you share the book, but you also gave us a little bit of a synopsis of like what you're learning. And I can't tell you the number of, people I have on who I asked them about a book and they say a book, but they can't even tell you. They're like, it's just a really good book. I'm like, right. But what are you learning? Like, I need to know the details. So, but I'm, I'm, that's interesting to think of complex and complicated is different. So thank you for sharing that. What's one piece of advice you have as a collaborative inquisitive to other everyday innovators out there of all types who are also looking to get out there and innovate, build those connections and get buy-in for their ideas.
2: I would say, first and foremost, like, I really found a lot of value in the IQE. Take the assessment, learn your style, and if you're working in a team environment, like that's where it really unlocks. Like, learning your style, great, but if you want to move things forward, teams are the atomic unit of getting things done. And so understanding how everyone interacts so you can shift like your language. So if you're gonna work with me and you're like, Matt, go sit in a corner and do this thing, but you don't give me any space to think about it or talk to other people, I'm gonna struggle. But if you knew that up front, so I would say, learn your style, learn your team, and then have the conversations.
1: You know, what's so interesting about that, Matt. First of all, thank you. I love that, yes. And teams get so much out of it. But what I love about what you just said too is with the collaboratives, sometimes you get the the bad rap of being too chatty, right? Like get to your desk already, you know? Like if you're in the office, it's like, oh my God, it's taking Matt like half an hour to get to his desk. He's talking to everybody. But if you understand that that's how Matt collaborates or how he innovates, right? You understand that's part of his process. And to your point, Matt, like to ask you to get something done with zero interaction to silo you is going to stifle every bit of innovation that you have inside of you. I have a couple of collaboratives on my team and same thing. Like I need them to work in pairs to be able to innovate. And that's okay, right? Like they, they produce great stuff. So thank you for sharing that because I think it's so interesting. Where for me, I'm a risk taker experiential. So if you ask me to do something without allowing me the space to be a little bit edgy and a little bit uncomfortable and to build something so I can like touch it and feel and see it, I'm just going to feel like it doesn't work. The, the, what you're going to get for me is not great. So yeah. So i love that. So, um, last question for you, which is a little bit more personal. What's something we'd be surprised to learn about
2: you? Um, I think probably the most surprising for people that, uh, get to know me is that I'm, can I share two? Is that too. Okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah, they yeah. both. Yeah. as one. I'm so inquisitive, like intellectual. I read books. I do all this stuff. In a previous iteration of my life, I was captain of the ultimate frisbee team for the University of Wisconsin in Madison. We were national champions. I mean, I played ultimate frisbee. Wow. Every every minute of my breathing, like life, for ten years, and it was just a huge chapter in my life. Um, and so people are like, really? You do you do things where it's actual physical movement. You're outside. You don't just like trip over yourself. But, but, they assume I fall into the category of I'd rather be in a library reading, but that ultimate Frisbee is a defining aspect of me. And then number two is I, I compose music just for fun. Uh, and so I've got three kids and every, every, each one of them when they were born, not really trying to, but I, I've composed uh, a song, a uh, piece of music for all three of them. And so it's something I like play them in the middle of the day. And it's my happy place just to play them their music.
1: Um, how old are they now?
2: Uh, nine, six, and just turn four.
1: Well, I hope that you keep those songs somewhere handy so that when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s and they get married or accomplish something, you can go back to playing that song for them because that is very cool. And I've never played uh, Ultimate Fris- Frisbee, but the people I know who play it, love it. <laughs> love it. So yeah. Matt, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for joining. Really, just a really powerful conversation.
2: I learned a lot. This has been great. I really appreciate the space and the invitation.
0: Congratulations, by listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit tolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.